Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm this, this is what we're doing. That's good. We've been doing we've been doing this for years, and how do you how do you like keep you it fresh? St- we don't have like a thing that we start with. Well, we do. Hello, everybody. Yeah, that's true. This is the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. <laughs> and I'm Father Peter Musset. And it is a pleasure to be able to... A pleasure. It is a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Dude, it's P's and P's and B's sound a lot like each other, and their their form is like each other. One just that's has true. an just extra... flip it on over. It just has well, an extra bump. Yeah. yeah, one has an extra bump. <laughs> well said. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, you guys, um, I have to tell you that uh, we, uh, you guys, are really awesome. We have made it to nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> likes on Facebook. We are stuck at nine ninety nine. Nine hundred literally, like, which is just hilarious. I think Emily Buss's personal mission in life. She has made it her personal mission in life. My brother got in on the thing, tried to get the Knights of Columbus. I mean, the Knights of the Holy Queen, or no, not the uh, the. Uh, um, AMDG? AMDG. It's one of those student bills. I things. can't imagine the Knights listening to us. No, I'm, I hope they do. I hope they do, too. Well, Who you knows? know, Dude, I went to the Presbyterate at this meeting this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, And I had a bunch of priests uh, come up and be like, really? Oh, yeah, they're like, we love the Lanky guys. Really? This is awesome, yeah. Which and, is such a different thing from last year and the year before. Yeah. Because I remember you awkwardly announced it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Awkwardly Listen announced to it. to us, everybody. And so, like, a, sh- a wow. shout out to, to Jason Wunsch. To oh, Father Wunsch. Jason Wunsch. And to, oh, uh, I've met him Wuncher twice. Wuncher twice. <laughs> oh, and if you meet his twins, then you can put a multiplier on it. Yes. Mark that. Oh, no, that dude. Those are Boulderites, man, right there. I know. I've known him since high school, dude. Like, I love, I love my Boulder peoples. They're the best. And uh, and uh, Father Joe Doman, I want to oh, give a shout out to Father, Father Joe. The dude. best. He's totally the best. He's podcasted in this room. Has he? Yeah, yeah. We did some Catholic stuff. You should Catholic. know. Down Does here he together. still do Catholic stuff? You should know. No. Okay. It's just uh, Father uh, Father Father Nathan and Father uh, Michael. Oh, and then um, I think that there's some hope that uh, Father John and Father Mike will do some. Uh, Roman version. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. We there's, love Catholic stuff. You should know. We do. And there's another podcast that like they have podcasting equipment over there, but they don't quite know like or like they were trying to do like a Catholic stuff you should know with like bigger topics or something. And so they, I, I don't know, I I forget how it goes. Some I, seminarians or some here in the archdiocese. No, in the in Rome. There's like oh, a Roman Rome. podcast. I, I listened to it once and I cannot remember its name. Oh shoot. I, yeah, I listened to a little bit of it. Is and, it Three Dogs North? Uh, yeah, no. Do you know that one? No, but I've heard of it. Some other seminarians at Mundelein and uh, my friend Father Scott Harder have that podcast. Harder. It's kind of a similar similar kind of a vibe to Catholic stuff you should know. It's cool. There's a lot of good people doing Catholic podcasts. Dude, I love it. It's fun. I love it. It's a uh, good time. It is a great time. And uh, so- and I just want to point out, though, with the thousand likes, we're still we're still reaching for one more. One more like, Emily Bus, Get us there. And um, we had some good suggestions as far as things that we will do or could do if we get to a thousand. But we like all the ideas, and actually, we might do all of them at one point or another. Uh huh. But in my mind, there's a clear winner, which we will have to wait until we get to a thousand. Well, you guys, uh, awesome! Welcome to the twenty-fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Our first reading for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time is Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 9a. 
Do you know that I always try to get to the first reading before you do it because I can I never I can never get the strophes right on um on the psalm. Oh, I didn't know that was why. I just thought you just like being first. Okay, yeah. So we have uh, we have Psalm one hundred and sixteen. Um, our response is uh one hundred sixteen nine, which in the Greek is Psalm one fourteen A and B. <laughs> Did you know that? I my my scriptures tell me that this is where. So if you guys have ever noticed like where the numbering is different, or sometimes there's Psalm number whatever and then in parentheses, a different number. Yeah, parenthetically, one, I have wondered. This is one of those places where it gets cra- crazy. <laughs> cra- crazy. <laughs> this really messes with the numbers, because in the Greek, this is two different psalms. And it's Psalm 114 oh. and 15. Not six. Anyway. anyway. So if you're ever confused about why the psalms have different numberings uh-huh. in your Bible, it's because the Greek version and the Hebrew version number them slightly differently. Oh. So in other words, there's one early on in the Hebrew that is split into two that we keep in one. Or the Greek splits it into two, the Hebrew keeps it in one. I sometimes have the same problem in my iTunes where <laughs> like, I buy like a song from an EP, but it's part of the album, and then it's kind of like off and separate in itself, and, and then the numbering gets all crazy, so then you can't ever play the full album because it's like the numbering's off. So I was about to criticize that analogy as being terrible, but then I realized <laughs> I, I actually know what you're talking about. It is, a, And it's a book of songs, so... Oh! Solomoy. See, see how this is the modern era, y'all, y'all. <laughs> and so then, <laughs> um, so then our our strophicals or whatever they call them, <laughs> strophicals, <laughs> is um it, it is essentially one through <sighs> six and then eight and nine. So I don't know how they're broken up in the midst of it, but that's okay. If we make it to a thousand, we should start making versicles. And selling them out of an ice cream truck, dude. You got it. I, you know, one of the things that we could possibly do is have a versicle stand outside the student center, <laughs> and two people will get it. And two people will get it. No, there's a music. No, we'll do it outside the music school. Do you think they'll get that? Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> <laughs> But they have the most likely chance yeah, of that's being true. able to. It to is do a good it. music program here. It is. All right, our second reading is coming from the book of James, not Jason. Um, chapter two, <laughs> verses fourteen through eighteen. Speaking of works and faith, did uh, did anybody complain about our Jason? Uh, um, no, our I think they're just putting up with it. They're just tolerating <laughs> us. <laughs> Nobody said anything. Uh, okay, well then that gets us to our gospel, which it is sure does. Mark eight twenty seven to thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and our, our acclamation is from Galatians six it's four. From Galatians, P. yeah, interesting, isn't it? But far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we'll even... By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I just wanted to sing that. Is that really the tone? Yes. Is that the, is that's, that the... that's the tone. I, I, uh, I have a copyright on that. All of you music Oh, so that's not there. what you'll hear at Mass. Um, I mean, the words are, but the music. It was not that close, dude. I mean, come on. You couldn't tell I was just making it up? Well, I thought you were just perhaps doing it badly. <laughs> it's, there's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. Yeah, it is a fine line. You know, that's why Mark Thomas never listens to this podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Me, maybe, boys and girls, will even mention the Galatians reading when we get there. Oh. Maybe, if you're good. <laughs> but if you're not, then... I wanted, to, anyway. I, want, I wanted to break into the song, Let Us Go Into Galilee, the neocatechumenal song. I don't know it. Sing it. I, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Ain't no. <laughs> Ain't no. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to be doing that. Mm-mm. Right. Here's, here's what I think. So I, we're, we're struggling a little, little tiny bit to figure <laughs> out the theme, the overarching theme that ties these together. I mean, I, I, 
I don't know. There, there's always, I feel like there's always some stuff that's just on the surface. They're like, okay, I see why that's connected. But what's the deeper it's, meaning it, behind these? You know, that's it's, what it's I like, want to get to. I want to get into the jet stream. Jet I mean, stream. It's, it's nice to like see how the currents are good. But like when you hit the jet stream in, then you start sailing. Criticize you. For that. <laughs> okay. Well, All right. Let's go into A. <clears throat> I, let's go to the see the eyes. Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah 55 through 9, which we. Um, it's after the the promise of everything good, right? Or is that start in fifty two? That starts in uh, forty eight. Oh, now you, you fifty five. Totally flip me off. Flip me out. <laughs> threw me. Threw me off. <laughs> um. Uh, ah. <laughs> forty. Forty. Isaiah forty starts the book of consolation. Wow. You really. That was weird. Dude, you really put me on the spot. I don't like being put on the spot, do I? I'm like, I'm like, no, you hate it. Ooh. You hate it so bad. So what he's talking about, in case you don't know, <laughs> Saul, uh, Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 are what are called the book of woes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, the, book of, the book of sorrow, you know, the book of sad things. Bad <laughs> things are going to happen to you, Israel, because you've been unfaithful. Chapters 40 through 66 begin what's called the book of comfort, the book of consolation. Mm. Um, begins by saying, comfort, comfort my people. Ironically, there's a decent amount of comfort in the first part of the book and a decent amount of woes in the second part of the book. So the lines aren't totally strict. It's very yin and yang. Kind of. Just, Do you know what that means? <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think I don't think you're making an accurate analogy. I don't think you are. I don't know. I was at a music festival and they had um and above the stage there was a big yin yang with but it was like made of instruments. Oh, up was in it Lions. a folks fest? Yeah, folks yeah, fest. yeah, yeah. That's their symbol, their and, little thing. And I was just thinking about it. And it's I was made like, of banjos. Yeah, and I was I was thinking like, well, gosh, it's kind of Ignatian and how you know when you're in consolation, you always expect Ignatian. desolation, and if you're in desolation, you always expect consolation. I said, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of yin and yang. No, there's a decent there. amount of truth to it. Yeah. It's it's flawed, but there is truth in it. Yeah, as as a philosophy, it does not work. It's not not to its logical end. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So don't put a yin, yin and a yang on your bumper sticker. I mean, come on, on your bumper, bumper. Who your, did it? Car. Who didn't doodle yin and yangs when they were in, in high school? Everybody did. In middle school. All right. So back to the back to business here. <laughs> um, Isaiah fifty is what uh, five through nine. What we have is what's called. It's the third of what are called the four servant songs, right? And okay. we've talked about the servant songs, and yes. and this is. I don't want to mention the irony of this. So you pointed out that this is the part of Isaiah that talks about comfort and consolation. Correct. And ironically, in the midst of this portion of comfort and consolation, you get these four different hymns about what's called the suffering servant. Which, and that's what's going on here. So in the midst of the comfort and the consolation that's coming to Israel, you get a, you hear about this person who's going to have his beard plucked out and get beaten and punched and, and cheeks all and these things. And you're like, well, how on earth is that fitting. consolation? Yep. But it actually is because, of course, the fathers of the church, we, you know, Christianity has looked back on this and seen, oh, well, this is clearly describing Jesus. So let me just read it. It says, The Lord opens my ear that I may hear. I have not rebelled. I have not turned back. I gave my back to those who would beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. I want to pluck your beard right now. Dude, I, I think your son <laughs> plucked my beard the oh, other day. Oh, sorry about that. No, he just like, he, he was taking fistfuls. He was so abused. It was. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he just wants a beard, man. Well, he wants your beard <laughs> specifically. Uh, my face I didn't shield from buffets and spitting. So, uh, you know. Christianity has looked back and like, oh my gosh, well, this is the passion, you know, his back to those who would beat him, right. being spit upon, all these things, but he had not rebelled. He hasn't turned back. It's ironic that in the book of how God is going to restore the people of Israel, there's this prominent passage about a servant who, and the idea of the servant for Isaiah and these four 
suffering servant psalms, which begin in uh, songs, which begin in chapter 42. So they're all within the book of comfort. Um, the servant is meant to represent all of Israel. It's this person who represents Israel. And if you know the history of the Israelite people. Well, and, and of the ancient world. And I mean, the ancient like, world in general. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah, the king would embody their people. Yeah, the that, king always embodies. Yep. That's, that's like what happens. I have to say, and I'm not trying to get all political, because I know you don't like it when I do that. I always see that look in your eye when no, I man, start I to. Got you. But I'm just, and I'm not saying anything political, but I'm watching the political process as we're in the midst of this absurd you know, Pre leading up to primaries. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's really intense because it really is a question inside your heart. You're saying, Cause this, can this person embody me? Well, it, there's that. But I was, so I was praying, was it yesterday? The Sorrowful Mystery. I was praying my rosary yesterday and I was praying the Sorrowful Mysteries. And have you heard this practice? That I, I'm, I'm told there was something that St. John Paul II used to do when he prayed the rosary. And, uh, and I've actually taken it. I really like praying this way. It's when you're praying through the Hail Marys, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, with you, blessed art thou. Like, so blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Jesus. And you do an interjection. You do an interjection about what Jesus is doing. Where is Jesus in the midst of that um, mystery? Of that mystery yeah. Which some of them are harder than others, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, but I was, and I, I've used that in my prayer life to just try to, you know, I, I remember a time when, my son was just going crazy and, you know, he was getting, he was hitting and, you know, hitting people and stuff and me and, you know, all this stuff. And I was meditating on that in uh, the second Sorrowful Mystery, you know, when, when Christ was scourged at the pillar and this idea, well, he took this kind of beating because he loved us. And, he, you know, I, so it's been super fruitful in my own prayer life. But I was praying yesterday and the crowning of thorns came up and I was thinking what that means. J this is Jesus being shown as the, you know, there's no, and we, we kind of, we, we shy away from this because we don't get it in the Western world. But in the ancient world, and certainly for Israel, there's no separation between church and state. There's no separation from their spiritual life and their political life, you know? Yeah. Their king was their political leader, but he was also the spiritual leader, and he was God's representative and all this stuff. And that's, I don't think that's how we should run our country, but you know what I mean? It just made me think to myself, wow, can you imagine the thought of any of the people vying for the presidency right now? Being a suffering servant, being willing to put on a crown of thorns on our behalf. You know, I mean, it's all these people that are loud and about themselves. And I, I mean, this is my perception. Yeah, yeah. And the thought of, uh, I mean, think of, put yourself back in the first century and put yourself in the shoes of the people following Jesus. And this comes up in the Gospels who are expecting a political leader. They don't know he's God. Right. They don't know he's going to die and rise again miraculously. They just know that this guy, God has chosen for whatever reason to lead us. Right. And he's talking about how he's going to be crucified and spit upon and beaten and scourged and rejected by the leaders, but how he'll be, you know, be redeemed. The thought of a political leader giving a political speech about how he's going to take rejection and be spit upon and suffer for our sake. You know what I mean? It's just so antithetical to everything we think of politically. We're all out for ourselves and how great we are and how loud we can get. You know what I mean? I was just, I was just, I was just think, meditating on that. Just imagining a political leader who actually talked about suffering you know, for the sake of his people, yeah, getting beat up, I mean, taking slander. Yeah, there, there's it's this, fascinating to me. There's this part where it's like we're gonna make this one this nation great again. Yeah, 
And and I was and 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 just even talking about how the the notion of like, well, what does greatness mean? Does it mean more money and more power in yeah. the in the world scene? Right. Or does it mean that we're actually going to take on real values and right. to actually and like and that's actually and be servants and be servants forbid. and that that's actually where the big that's a radical switch that is yeah. is where when we look at the suffering servant yeah. you say if, even for them that that was it's the same well, yes. stuff that they've got going on to so the book of consolation is that like like as a pastor I look around and I say you know if I don't do this the next pastor is going to have to. Oh, interesting. And if I don't take up the cross, then the man after me, which there will always be a man. There was right. a guy after St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney <laughs> left the parish, and you are now the man. Oh, that's you're the, the worst. You're the new pastor. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. It's me, Father Tim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. yeah, no, it's oh, like man. it's like that that moment. There was always going to be a dude after you, yeah, but if yeah. but if, if you take up the cross, then then that cross is that that's actually redeeming to the world. Yeah, and that's where you look at the leader uh, that we're talking about in, yeah. in Isaiah. And you're saying like, oh, he's this this nation is going to be great because well, because look who who can even declare me guilty and like all that other stuff is just going to wear out like fine clothes. This is precisely, and I'm not trying to, well, whatever. This is precisely why Old Testament Israel was never great. They were good. They were God's people. He did set them aside. They were His chosen ones. But even just like on the geopolitical stage, like they were never very significant. They were always being oppressed by somebody. Right. They were always being hauled off of their land. And I mean, again, like you said, greatness is not about riches and power and, you know, all this stuff. But Israel, you can watch the trend throughout the Old Testament. Every time they put their trust in foreign alliances or their weaponry or their money or their power or their influence. Or even having a king. Or even having a king. Anytime their emphasis is on something other than God alone is our king. Right. They lose their kingdom. They lose their money. They lose their weaponry. They lose their land. They cease to become great. And I, I just wonder what Israel could have been had they consistently trusted God. If you, if you go through the battles, the wars that they fight in the Old Testament, every time they're like, yeah, we can win this. We have the might. They lose terribly. Right. Every time they're like, no, there's no way we can win this, but God is with us. They win. Right. They're always victorious because God wants them to know, no, it's not about you. And that's the answer. So you get the suffering servant who doesn't turn his back, who's getting spit upon, his beard is plucked. And then you get the, well, how is that possible? Well, because... The Lord God is my help, because therefore I'm not disgraced. I've set my face like flint, knowing I'll never be put to shame, which is the irony just in this passage. Here's somebody who is turning his back to be beaten. His beard is being plucked. He's being spit upon, yet he is not put to shame. The dichotomy of that, the paradox that someone being spit upon, but not being in shame, not being shamed. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually his glory, because, and only because... The Lord God is my help. Jesus isn't great because, oh, look how tough I am that I took the beatings. Like, that's good and that's noble, but he's great because, no, I trust in God. Father, if it be your will that this cup might pass, let it. But otherwise, your will be done. Yes. So I will sit and I will take your will. Yeah. That's what makes him great. His unity, his, his giving all of it back to the Father. Yes. And, and so one of the themes I think you see in these readings that helps to tie them together is the idea that things are just not what they seem or things are not what you'd expect them to be. And as Israel is reading in Isaiah, they're like, oh, finally, the book of consolation. This is the comfort. This is what our glory is going to look like. Oh, wait, our glory is going to look like a king being spit upon, his beard plugged out and beaten? 
That's the comfort we're getting? Thanks for the comfort. Thanks for the consolation, God. But that is precisely where God is going to bring comfort and consolation to his people. Through this one, this representative who speaks on our behalf, who takes it for us. Which leads us profoundly into the psalm. It, it does. Psalm 116. Which I want to actually start at the very end, which is our response, is, which is verse 9, you know, which is, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Uh-huh. So as we're reading about the suffering servant, and what we're talking about too is, is if you are willing and courageous to embody and to actually, like, because there's two ways to walk before the Lord in the land of the living, I, I really think. Yep. The, the first way is an ev- evangelical way. It's kind of okay. like what we're doing right here. Yep. You know, if we talk about what is the pattern of the suffering servant and how this is actually going to re-embody nobility and goodness and wholeness mm-hmm. within the people in the world, then, yes. then what happens is that when that cross is encountered and the invitation from the Lord to be in redemption with him to suffer alongside of him yes then then we can walk before and help people know that when the lord makes that invitation they can understand it yeah absolutely the second way is to go and actually walk it and walk the way of the crucifixion with the lord yeah and i think that like and then to be present mystically to him in the midst of that and to say no like walking before the lord like what does that even mean it it, it means that you're allowing the lord to suffer and to die and and like that that is that's a really but but then but and contained within all of that is redemption and if yeah. I walk with him I get to experience that redemption. When here's the secret of the New Testament, and this is what I don't want to peg it on our Protestant friends, but I I misunderstood this as a Protestant. We Christ suffered and died. So I was taught in certain circles um, that Christ suffered and died so that we didn't have to which is actually not true. That's not theologically correct. It's not even scripturally accurate. Christ suffers and dies so that we are able to, so that we actually have the ability and the grace to walk with him, to pick up our own crosses, to carry it, Yes. because we know he's given us the ability to do that. Mm. It's not, we don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, where if you just follow Jesus, everything, everything's great, everything's happy, you're going to have tons of money, a nice car. It's the exact opposite. If you follow Jesus, you're going to take up the cross, but he's going to give you the ability to do it. It's actually interesting. I was... um. Looking at the psalm, a lot of the fathers of the church put these words into the mouth of Jesus, and they read this as Jesus' own words as he's suffering. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice in supplication. He has inclined his ear to me the day that I called. Um, The cords of death encompassed me. The snares of the netherworld seized upon me. I fell into distress and sorrow, and I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, save my life. But they're imagining this on the lips of Jesus during the Passion, which I don't know. I read it that way, and I read through the psalm, and I was like, oh, man, imagine Jesus actually praying, the, and which he very well could have been. There's a, a long tradition that Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, was actually praying the psalms, which is why you see, yes. you know, when he when he cries out Psalm 69, and no, Psalm uh, 22. 20, 22, that he's actually reciting some of these things. And it just, I, for me, that just kind of changed the perspective. I was like, oh, wow. Um, dude, have you ever, have you ever recited a a line of a Psalm when you're really suffering and like done it repetitively? So I had a friend, a a very, very good friend who, um, we in high school, I I mean, I was raised, I was raised Catholic, but I didn't understand my faith kind of until high school and I took Mm -hmm. it on. And we, uh, this friend of mine kind of came into our understanding of Jesus together and, and it was, it was a beautiful brotherhood, but he, uh, this is a person who suffered a lot in his life and he, you know. You know, abuse and alcoholism in his family, just uh, stuff. He had stuff yeah. to deal with. And and becoming Christian actually made him face it head on. 
And uh, he was, you know, he was raised, um, you know, I don't think with much in his background, but he <laughs> met a homeless guy on the Pearl Street Mall. And um, this guy told him all about his suffering of his life and how Jesus, it's because of Jesus that he's able to deal with it. And he gave him this little bullet, like literally a bullet from a gun yeah. that had Psalm 69 carved into it, which Psalm 69 is the psalm that says, uh, save me, God, for the waters have reached my neck. I've reached the end of my strength and all this. And my friend read this psalm for the first time, and he's like, oh, my gosh, there is somebody in the world who actually understands what I've been through. And this homeless guy had written a song about it, and he was like, Lord, the song went, the lines of it was, Lord, just give me a bullet to bite on. And so he had this little bullet, and so my friend would keep this little bullet in his pocket because it was this reminder, this is my bullet to bite on, this idea that somebody has suffered this. It's it's known. I'm mm. not totally alone in the world, and just yeah. the fact that I've read those words that's enough for me to be like, okay, I can, I can wow. do that. I don't. It was profound. That's profound. I, I was hiking in the, I was hiking on the Camino, um, through the Pyrenees, and I was alone, didn't know anybody, and I was about to hike across a, a country, <laughs> and um, and I was suffering terribly, and I just kept on saying, "Our help is in the name of the Lord who mm. made heaven and earth," and and it was like the only thing that I could muster. Yeah. And um, and it's because where shall come from my help from right. the hills. And so it was oh. like, and so it was just this moment where like, man, let these kind of soak into your soul. And yeah. so that when you need to call upon these words, because yes. wh why did, why could Jesus call upon these words in his, in the desert in the 40 days, in the desert in the 40 days it, during his song, yeah. because he knew them. Like right. if you've ever suffered, you know that you don't have access to anything. You don't have access to complex thought. You, you do have access to the Psalms. You do have yeah. access to, you know, we well, have access to memory. And that's the the idea of memorizing the Psalms. So yes. that they're there. That's what Jesus is doing. There, he's got like the storehouse that he can just tap into. I think it's Psalm one nineteen. It talks about the value of memorizing. The, I've laid thy words in my heart that I may not sin against you. This idea of putting God's words in there, so you actually have they're laid up in your heart. They're ready to go when you need them. And when those moments of suffering comes, you can't think straight. Right. You've got the bullet to bite on, so to speak. You yeah. Know, it's there to pull from. It's beautiful. They, you're going to name the podcast this time a bullet to bite on, aren't you? I might. I wasn't going to, but it's always a challenge. <laughs> Which, yes, it does. I think leads us into James. Jo Joshua or Jason. Jason. Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> leads us into James. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister has nothing to wear, has no food for the day, if one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and eat well. Isn't that the best? Here's somebody who has no food, nothing to wear. Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, my friend. But you don't give them the necessities of the body. What good is it? So also faith of itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. This is the book of the one of the books of the Bible that Martin Luther actively tried to take out of the canon of Scripture because it did not fit with his worldview, which created a false paradox and a false dichotomy between faith and works. It, it's important to note that and I looked up, well, the, the words are the same, but... I'm glad you said a false dichotomy because... It's really, a false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy. And we, and we and our brothers and sisters can get into this weird thing where we argue and it's like, that's right. silly. No. It's, well, and, and I don't know anybody who actually would live that way, who'd be like, oh, I just have this faith. It doesn't matter what I do with my life. Right. That, I don't know anybody who would actually live that way. Any, any good Christian, Catholic or not. And the, the difference is, and I think we talked about this last week briefly, when Paul in the Romans, in the letter to the Romans, talks about faith versus works of the law, 
he's talking about works of the law, um, ergon nomos. It's a technical term for the Jewish people, the works of the law of Deuteronomy. It's not just deeds or good deeds or being nice to people or, or doing feeding the hungry, any of those things. Those were, those were supreme Jewish goods. Right. That was what you were supposed to do. That was how, it, you know, there, there, who was it? Rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, I think, talked about, you know, this whole gig. He talked about when God, you know, made the foundations of the world, he formed it on three pillars, um, the three W's, right? So God's word, uh-huh. um, worship of him. So Torah, Avodah, and Gimilut Chesed. Gimilut Chesed. So word, worship, and works. Yes. Doing something. Works of loving kindness. Yes. Um, but the idea is, you know, Paul, the argument Paul's making in Romans is, no, faith in Jesus Christ saves you, not the kosher food laws or the cleanliness laws or circumcision or those things. Right. That's what God used in the past. He's not using that anymore. He's using his son and baptism therein his son to save you. That's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about doing good works, which I think Paul would turn over in his grave if he knew people were using his words to argue that you shouldn't serve the poor. Or that that's not fundamental to faith. I think you'd think you were an idiot if you, somebody said that. Yeah. But what Paul, what James is saying is that this is obs- I I don't I don't know if you were there. It was a long time ago. Archbishop Shapiro <laughs> gave a mass at Red Rocks, the big amphitheater outside. Of you, were you were there? you there? I was there. I was one of the first. Were shows. you there? I was when? too. Oh man. I was in like I, I was I was watching and he was like yeah, I was right there. Unless you serve the poor. Well, he was quoting Matthew 25, which I think was the reading, which is the sheep and the goat. You know, when did we see you hungry well, or thirsty? Well, you, you know what it was. It, that was for the for National the Convention for Catholic, Catholic Charities. Catholic Charities, yeah, yeah. And it was right <laughs> as the scandals were hitting, too. <laughs> yeah, but he said, what did he say? Unless you serve the poor, you are going to hell. And then he just paused. And then he said it again. Let me repeat that. Unless you serve... He's like, if you can find another way around what Jesus is saying, then I'd be loved to hear it. But what he says is if you don't serve the poor... You're going to hell. You're going to hell. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh. Dude, it, it echoed out, and he didn't give any qualifications. No. He didn't make any like jokes like but I do. Like, There's no way around that. That's what Jesus says. Matthew right. 25, read it. Right. We didn't serve you. We didn't feed you. We didn't clothe you. We didn't give you to drink. Okay, you're cast off. Period. Right. Now, there's more to it. We don't cherry pick scriptures. That's not what we do. But it's very clear you can't just go around saying, oh, Jesus has saved me. Everything's great. And then see our brothers and sisters on the side of the road or, right. you know, these the refugees in Syria. Well, any of these things can be like, well, somebody else's problem. Whatever. I got my faith in Jesus. Me and Jesus are fine. Right. So it doesn't matter. That's and what James, all James is saying. This, this It shouldn't be up for debate. And that's the thing about the book of James. I mean, I, James is like, why are you even debating this? This is this is a no-brainer. You can't just walk around saying Jesus has redeemed me and then do nothing. I mean, this this is the whole, this is really the downfall of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, we've talked about the Jubilee year, I assume. Do you remember the Jubilee, the whole idea of the Jubilee in the Old Testament? Yeah. The, um, the idea was when, when Israel was released from slavery in Egypt, God set them free from being slaves from being deeply indebted to Pharaoh, where they had to work their, their bottoms off, and being homeless. And he brought them out of Egypt, and he freed them from slavery, released their debt to Pharaoh, right. and gave them land, the promised land. And so there's this ordinance, there's this this law, this command, when they're coming out of, of Egypt, that God says, okay, you are to do this for one another. It's the, Jubilee, it's the Sabbath year, and then the Jubilee year. And he said, every 50 years, you are, 49 years, you are to... Release any slaves, and slaves, 
side note, it, don't think of what we think of, you know, in this country in the earlier centuries. Like African slave trade. It's not, this wasn't a racial thing. This wasn't no. an ethnic thing. I mean, you could be a doctor or a lawyer and find yourself in slavery. It's a monetary thing. It's a debt thing. Right. It's an indentured worker. Yeah. So set free any slaves, free all of the debt. You got credit card debt. You got a mortgage. It's all wiped off the books and give back any land that has been lost. And the reason, you know, and if you're, if you're wealthy and you have a lot of land and slaves and hold a lot of debt, you're not going to be a big fan of that. If you're poor and you've been, you know, kind of beat up in life, you're going to love it. But it's clear that Israel doesn't do that. But what God is trying to make clear is, look, I set you free from slavery, released your debt, and gave you land. And if you understand that I've done that for you, the only proper response is to do it for one another. Right. And if you can't do it, and this is what it says in Jeremiah, I think it's 35, if you can't understand that, then you have not understood my redemption. You right. have not understood what I've done. So that's actually when he sends them back into slavery because they obviously didn't get it. <laughs> but that is the theme. If you don't understand what I've done for you, if you do understand what I've done for you, you should actually live that out. So that's why Jesus says no greater love has this, has anyone than this, to lay down your life for, for one's friends. friends. Why? Because it's the same theme. If I've done it for you, you ought to be able to do it for one another. Which is, I mean, at the essence and the core of what he's trying to say yeah. at the at the Last Supper. Yeah, I oh, knew, no, like, absolutely. A, a new commandment I give you, lay, you know, as I have done this for you, you do this for others. Right. And it's right. like, that's where, like, even go make disciples of all nations. The last thing he said was, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have commanded you to do. All. That I've commanded you. All. No all. And he's saying this to the guys whose feet he just washed a couple days prior. Well, 40 days, 50 days prior. Right? So, I mean, when he's saying all, he's saying, remember what I've done for you. Remember this. Don't forget. That's the all. You should actually serve them. This is, yeah. I mean, people always, you know, when people want to attack Christianity... They always, the first thing they point to is, well, what about the Holy Roman Empire and Constantine? And then they got big and fat and wealthy and oppressive and blah, 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 blah. And the proper Christian response is, yeah, they got it kind of out of control. We got really big heads. Proper Christianity should always serve. It should always be emptying. And yeah, there's been a lot of times in our history we haven't done it, you know? So we're supposed to do that. Again, I can't help thinking of all of our politicians and just how <laughs> antithetical it is to our whole political process. Right. Our political process seems to be based around getting as much money as you can, making yourself look as good as you can, making everyone think that you are awesome and have all the answers and you are the best. The idea of actually laying your life down for your people, uh, serving your people. Yeah, uh, we don't have time for that. And I don't know if we're a culture that even wants that because we see that as weakness. We see that as patheticness we want the pow we want the person who's going to look out for number one who's going to pull themselves up who's going to knock down anybody in their way that's the winner right that's what we want as the 90s would say i got the power i got the power oh man you got that right on thanks man dude that was like been practicing all week <laughs> <laughs> no, <I haven't. laughs> which leads us directly into the el gaspele it does sorry i feel like i'm really soapboxy today dude so I, hope, I hope i'm not you know what i gotta say like this whole time, you and I have both kind of been like on fire a little bit. This is, <laughs> yeah. We, it's, you know what it is? Uh-oh. It's our 999 likes on Facebook, dude. We're on fire. We got a, we got a bully pulpit <laughs> Imagine now. Imagine if we had a thousand. Imagine what would happen then. <laughs> it would change everything. everything. One more like. <laughs> Not that everybody who likes us on Facebook even listens to us. Well, you know what the difference, though, b- between all of this is? The, this mm. this power-seeking and like and pr- like this pride and not and humility Pride is defined as the attachment to one's own excellence. 
the attachment. The undo, sorry, undo, undo attachment. Yeah, there it is, there it is. Because yep. the reality is, is that like you can be good. Yeah. And in fact, America is good be. in so many ways. Scooten? Scooten. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's ironic that you said America is good. Let's <laughs> just keep moving, man. <laughs> no, that was no, funny. It was very funny, but I just, but we got to get into this gospel. No, but true humility. I, I, well, anyway, I, I got, I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm one of those people who yells at my radio in the morning when I'm listening to the news. <laughs> really? I always yell back at it. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Dude, I I I'm that guy. I don't listen to the radio. I I just like. Well, you have no commute. Your commute is <laughs> my commute is really negligible. Walking over next door. You know what my commute is? Me laying in bed and trying to wake up <laughs> while reading the news. Like that's actually kind of beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. <laughs> like, they, what do they say? Like, I don't know. They say things about commutes. I'm not <laughs> going to say things them. About yes, they do. So, all we, right, the gospel. We got Jesus going to Caesarea Philippi. Yeah, Philippi. Philippi. Um, along the way, his, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So he, he, there's right. a, he, this is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, one of the themes of the Gospel of Mark is this idea of, of what's sometimes called the messianic secret. It's a secret. But throughout most, well, the first half of the Gospels, it's all about people trying to figure out the secret. Like, are you, who are you? You know, Jesus wants to veil it. He's telling people not to tell anybody. Some people he lets tell. But for the most part, there's all these secrets. Mark in particular emphasizes this idea. It's a secret. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Right? It's all over the place until well, you get here. Until you get here. But which part of the reason why is because he he's really helping them. To, he's drawing out a particular detail. It, you know how you would do it when you tell a story to somebody. Yeah. And you know that they have particular concerns in their life. And you yeah. tease out details of, around those concerns. Yeah. Whereas somebody else hearing the story, you're not going to talk about the, the same way. I mean, that's true. This is I really speculate, and I believe it's true that he's writing to a Roman community that's in persecution. Oh yeah, totally. Who actually has to live in a secret capacity, totally. but oh, sees yeah. sees what yeah. it means to actually like that. Yes. It's there's a compelling nature to this, but yeah. this is like no, let's do this. But what is it that marks the transition? Do you know what changes from the secret to kind of letting it all hang out? Uh, blind man Bartimaeus, Timaeus, son of no, Maeus. you should know this. You of all people. Why do I not know this? You, Peter, Rock. It's Peter's confession. Oh, it's when he says, "Who do people say that I am?" And they, you know, he gives the first public opinion. Well, twenty-five percent say you're John the Baptist, thirty-four percent say Elijah, and he's like, "All right, that's fine." You are in the political process right now. <laughs> Sorry, dude. But he's like, "But who do you say that I am?" Single tent, single, second person singular. And it's Peter who speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. And that's the turning point because he's the first person to have said that. Nobody else is actually, you know, you, you get the idea and some people think he's the leader. You know, Christ, by the way, means king, the anointed one. You are the Christ. And by the way, when they're in Caesarea Philippi, I think we've talked about Caesarea Philippi in the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, well, this is Caesar is king and it's yeah. a temple dedicated to the king of the, uh, how, how did they call him? Well, so there was a point in, in history Son where, of God, son of God. Well, kind of. So Caesar Augustus, right? Oh, yeah. Who was the present, who was the current Caesar, current ruling head. He had a super big head, uh, was super power hungry. Speaking of power hungry, big headedness. And he wanted more power. So he actually went, as the story goes, he went before the Roman Senate one day. Uh-huh. And he said, I want you to declare my father, Julius Caesar, his adopted father, as a god, because he was worried that the Roman mythologies were all dying. People, you know, all these other Eastern United religions. United Kingdom under, uh, under worship. One religion, man. Um, so he's one like, nation I think under should, God. 
under but this, but this Julius. Guy, <laughs> but this guy happens to not really be God. Indeed. But he's like, I, you need to declare him a God or else you're treasonous. And so the Senate, the Senate had no interest in this. They're like, that's dumb. He's not, you know, this is stupid. We want to get on with the law making process. But they're like, okay, if we say no, then we're going to be held in treason. That's not good. If we say yes, you know, nobody really worships the gods anyway. So whatever. Fine. Pass a law. Julius Caesar is a god. And then I think it was the next day, Caesar Augustus went to the Senate. He said, okay, everybody bow down before me because I am the son of God. Pretty crazy, power-hungry move. Yeah, I mean, so then he, uh, which is totally antithesis to our suffering exactly. servant. Exactly. But then he commands that temples be built all over the empire to not only his father, the god Julius, but the son of God. And so in the region of Judea, in Palestine, um, the Herod dynasty knew that the Jewish people would flip out. There'd be civil war if they tried to build a temple to Caesar oh, within man. Jerusalem or something. No. So he's like, where can I put it? So it's still in the boundaries of my territory, right. but maybe nobody will notice. So he puts it in Caesarea Philippi, which is way out in the middle of nowhere. Which is the headwaters for the, the Jordan. Jordan. But there's this huge, like, 40-foot rock face, and he hewed this temple into this massive rock dedicated to the fake son of God. And in Matthew's gospel, we get a little bit more of this, but that's where when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the king, the Christ, the Caesar, the son of the... Do you remember? Living God. Living God. As opposed to what's right behind them? A temple built to the son of... A dead God. A dead God, Julius. Oh. So, I mean, what he says is really powerful. That is really powerful. And then what does Jesus say to him? Yeah, the father has not uh, revealed. Uh, the father revealed this to you. Yeah, but he says you are Peter, which means rock. rock. What are they standing in the shadow of? A gigantic, a rock. gigantic rock which holds the temple to the son of a dead god. Which so the imagery is ah. the imagery is amazing. But then also at that at that location there used to be um, oh yeah a, mm. a, you know a sacrifice to the god Molech. Yeah, yeah, because it was already in. <laughs> Herod, Herod found some real estate that had been foreclosed or something. He's like, oh, nobody's using this temple anymore, so we'll just rededicate it. Yeah, so... so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So it, what, what the contrast is, is so then he goes in and he says, well, guess what? I'm going to have to die. I'm actually going to be sacrificed. Right. And so they're looking at this thing. Because he's like, do you understand what kind of a... Ki- do you understand what you just said? Yes. And he doesn't. He does not, and and that and that's where it's like, oh no, like the the radical nature of like his self sacrifice yes. is is brought to the fore along with his kingship. I mean, because honestly, it really is out of the way of, of everything. Of everything, Caesarea the Philippi is not new. I mean, not near, not near. Anything. It's not on the way to anything. Yes, but it all. This also shows you number one how far outside of the Jewish sensibilities it was for the Messiah to die. Right, that wasn't expected. No, but even you know, you might even say you you might want to say, but well, I mean, they should have known the suffering servant hymns and all the stuff about this this leader who was going to suffer and be beaten and all this stuff. Like, didn't they know that? But it also shows us. I mean, on on one level, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know, it's hard to know. The Jewish people didn't know exactly what that meant. Okay, what does it mean that there's going to be this servant? He's going to suffer and be beaten. Is that is that literal? Is that a metaphor for something? Like, what what does that mean? You know, I mean, if you're on the front side, the analogy I always like to use is I, I hope there's going to come a time when we're all hopefully in heaven. And we look back and we're like, oh, that's what revelation meant. Like, that's what the <laughs> seven-headed beast, obviously. Obviously. But when you're on the front side of a prophecy that's kind of weird, you're like, I don't know if I totally get it. 
<laughs> and we have to, you know, give that benefit of the doubt to the Jewish people. Like that's a there's a weird series. There's these prophecies that say he's going to suffer and be beaten and his beard plucked and spit upon. Right. But then other ones say he's going to be a conqueror and a warrior and coming on a war horse and beat all the enemies. Like which one is it? And it's obviously we understand that it, this tapestry tapestry makes sense. But when you're on the front side, you're like, ah. so Peter's only response is like, well, I rebuke you then because I can't. And, and yeah. you know, he's like, you've done all these things. Like you're the you're the king. We need you. We need a king to set us free and to do all these things. Yep. So he rebukes him because he's kind of crazy. Well, what's what's wild is and uh, I can't, is it Colossians that goes through and talks about how he's putting uh, the he's putting death on parade. Yes, Colossians where. Uh, I yeah, think, I think yeah, it yeah, could yeah. be Colossians, yeah. but like he, but essentially, like no, he is riding a war horse, but and he's trailing the enemy behind him yes. in this, but he's actually bearing the enemy before him to reveal the the yes. horror and the demonic in a in a way and defeating them at the simultaneous moment. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. We're like we're getting this, but man, it is potent and amazing. And the thing is, it it's never what it seems. No, it's it, not what you think it's going to be. <laughs> right. And that's what and that's what leadership is supposed to be. That that's why, I mean, for Pete's sake, I'm still thinking political. That's why when when someone is elected pope, what's the first place they go to the room of tears? Because if you really understand what you're taking on, the only proper response is weeping. Because yeah. you should be like, this is an overwhelming job. I can't do it without God. Dude, I was I was watching 2020 the other day and looking at uh, Pope Francis. He did like this like simulcast and oh uh, yeah, and it was really cool. But like I kept on looking into his eyes and I was like. Papa Francesco, like he bears the cross, really. Like you can see it in his eyes, and he bears, and and the cross is actually able and allows him to love. And but like you yeah. see it, like yeah, it's there, absolutely. And that's exactly what Jesus ends by saying: Whoever wishes to come after me, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, if you want to have glory, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He yes. gives the paradox of true Christian leadership: uh, If you want to be great, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. If you lose your life, then you'll save it. Yep. You will be embodying the book of consolation by suffering for it. Right. Because I'll give you the grace to do it, which is the point. So, that being said. Thank you for bearing the cross and listening to us today. And you one stinker out there who's refusing to like us on Facebook, get off of your couch and just go do it. Just do There's it. There's an app on your phone. Just <laughs> like it. You, like, I think safe. you can even do it with Siri, maybe. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> hey, Siri. Which... Which um, we've been recording this during the uh, the the Apple talk, of, oh, uh, like the thing, and so um, I have we have forsaken it for the sake of you. But now I'm going to tune it back in and find okay. out about the iPad Pro. Perfect. All right, we'll be back next week, everybody. Hey, we love you. God bless you. Bye bye. Bye.